one. We'll read through the whole chapter again as we do, and then we'll pray, and we'll we'll sort of pick up here at the in uh, in verse twelve. Um, I am not going to rehash everything that uh, hopefully that uh, Davy <laughs> talked to you about. But um, <clears throat> then uh, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will will fall down and, and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. What that looked like. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach or to announce and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed epileptics and paralytics and he healed them great multitudes followed him from galilee and from decapolis jerusalem judea and beyond the jordan let's pray father i i thank you for your word because it's it's in, in knowing what you have said that we can really know you. And just like our conversations with each other help us to develop intimacy in our relationships with other people, so our conversation with you allows us to know you. As we hear what you have said, what you've said to people, Uh, throughout the ages as we see what you've done Lord we can know you and I thank you for that I I thank you also I thank you for our moms for our mothers Um, what a foolish thing it would be for us to only 
thank you for our moms once a year. But we are grateful, Lord, continually grateful. They are sacrificers. So much they give up that we might um, that we might live. And so we thank you for them. Um, God, we ask that you would bless them and that we would take joy um, both in recognizing our moms and and, uh, and where we are in, in being a mother. At the same time, I, I pray that uh, we would learn uh, to grieve with those whose mothers aren't here anymore. And to recognize that. And that in those places you are able to meet uh, every person, Lord. Or maybe those who've tried to be or want to be mothers and can't or haven't been able to, Lord. We know that grief as well. And I I pray that uh, you would be the one that we are pursuing because um, all of humanity, both male and female, were made in your image, Lord. So both... Both our fathers and our mothers, they they reflect to us something of your great character, God. Of your concern. Of your protection. Of your goodness and your kindness. And I pray that you would continue, Lord, to point us to you. Both through our parents and as parents. Lord, you're so smart. <laughs> Thank you for making us the way that you did. The way that you do. Thank you, Father. Lord, would you speak to us through your word as we come to the, the this text again here in Matthew 4. Um, where I, I want for us to be a people who, who are just just wanting to follow Jesus to just do what you've said. Because you are God. You made everything and you hold everything together. And it really, it just wouldn't, it doesn't make any sense for us to, to be concerned with or to be looking for other things, Lord. So I pray that you would be honored with us this morning and that you would speak through your word. In Jesus' name, we ask it. Amen. 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 So, um, a couple weeks ago, we went through the beginning part of Matthew 4, and we talked about temptation. Jesus was tempted. We also talked about how uh, temptation is not in itself sin. That's something that James sort of lays out for us in James chapter 1, that uh, being tempted or being drawn to something is a natural part of, of being a human being, living in a, in a body. Uh, Paul talked about this idea um, um, a little bit in more detail, I think, in Romans chapter 7, when he recognized that even though he wanted to do good sometimes, he was held captive by something inside of him, something that he defined as the law of sin. Um, <clears throat> that, uh, that, that even when he wanted to do good, he found himself not doing the things that he wanted to do, and the things he didn't want to do, he found himself doing those things. Um, so, to is the rest of humanity. <laughs> uh, we all suffer from that same thing because we're all descended from the first Adam, uh, from that Adam, that first man that God made uh, in the garden, or made and then placed in the garden, I, I should say. Uh, but being tempted is not uh, itself sin. And James points it out for us in James chapter 1. But we sin when we give ourselves over to temptation, when we succumb to temptation, right? Um, when we, uh, when we give ourselves to temptation, that temptation conceives and brings forth death is sort of the point that, that James brings out for us. And a reminder that I like to give is that when we, uh, anybody, whether you're following Jesus or not, when you or I decide to disobey God, when we decide to sin against him, right? Sin is disobedience to God. When we decide to sin against him, it's like we're playing Russian roulette with a fully loaded revolver, right? You know, Russian roulette, that terrible game it's not really a game but you know where they load a a revolver with one round and then they spin it and then you pull the trigger to your head right and you hope that you didn't get the round with the bullet in it um 
When we choose to disobey God, we're playing Russian roulette with a fully loaded revolver. You always lose, right? There's no, everybody loses. Uh, in fact, Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 3. He says the wages of sin is death, right? You know what wages are, right? When you get a paycheck. So he's saying the paycheck for your sin is to die. <laughs> but thanks be to God <laughs> who gives us life, who rescues us from our sin. That's the gospel, the great news of Jesus, Okay. So Jesus resisted the temptations of Satan. And uh, we drew some parallels between Jesus, uh, who Paul calls the last Adam or the second Adam in 1 Corinthians 15, and uh, the first Adam in the Garden of Eden. Um, We drew some parallels there. But the last couple of things I wanted to mention are, uh, I just want to read a couple of things to you. One is from Hebrews 2, another from Hebrews 4. And the last one is uh, will be in First Corinthians uh, chapter uh, ten. There are things that I want to uh, grow in as I follow Jesus. I want to be more obedient to Him because the more I learn about God, the more I recognize that everything God says is right. And maybe that's a dumb statement to you. Maybe that's you know like something that that you should already know. Um, that's fine, but it is a reality. Uh, everything that God says is right and true and good um, because he's God. Um, so I find myself wanting to be more obedient to God. I love him because he's loved me, and because I love him, I want to do things that he wants me to do. I, I um, find it. Uh, I've told this story before. I'm not sure. I'm actually not sure my mom's even heard me tell this story before. But uh, when I was a, a kid, I would take cigarettes uh, from like different places in our neighborhood when they were building houses in the neighborhood because like the construction workers would leave them around. Anyways, teenagers are stupid, right? Uh, so so I would get home before my parents did, and I would go on the front porch and. I would smoke a cigarette, and I remember one day my mom came home from the time that I got inside and went out to the front porch. She got home that day, and I remember when she came out the front door, because she was looking for me, I remember she came out the front door, and uh, I, I don't remember that she really said much, but um, I do remember that she was very, very disappointed, and I remember seeing that in her face and thinking, I don't want my mom to feel like this, you know, and so for me, that was it. I was just, I didn't want to do that anymore. Because I loved her, I wanted to do uh, things that made her happy, that pleased her. Right? So, um, it's the same way with the Lord. Because I love God, I want to do the things that he wants me to do. I, he's, he's smart. I, again, maybe that's a dumb thing to say, but it's, sometimes we think we know everything and we just don't. So Hebrews chapter 2 says this. Right here at the end of Hebrews chapter 2, it says this. Um, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of uh, God and his son Jesus, he himself likewise shared in the same. That is, he shared in flesh and blood. So that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So uh, Jesus overcomes death for us, and he does so in a real physical body that you and I have. That's part of the importance of what we call the incarnation, that God became a man. Okay? So uh, he might destroy uh, him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to slavery or bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, speaking of Jesus, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, that is to... um, satisfy the penalty for our sin, the the right judgment against our sin, um, to satisfy it. Think of it as uh, the idea of somebody, when they commit a crime, they go to jail, they receive a certain sentence, and then once they're released from that, if their sentence has been fulfilled and they've paid all their restitution and whatever, uh, the idea is that they've satisfied the judgment for their crime. Okay. The problem you and I have is that the judgment for our crime, for our sin, is death. So how are you going to satisfy it? Are you going to die? Do you want to do that? <laughs> you just want to die and be lost forever? <laughs> be separated from, from God's eternal life? Is that what you want? Well, God made a way for that, uh, a way for us to be rescued from that. And that's this idea of uh, propitiation, that Jesus satisfied the uh, penalty that we deserved. Okay. 
to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And here's verse 18 of Hebrews chapter 2. For in that he himself, in that he has suffered, Jesus, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Um, In Hebrews 4, there's a similar idea here at the end of uh, Hebrews 4. He says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, uh, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted, just like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So uh, I think the author of the Hebrews is reminding us of something very important. And the last thing I guess I wanted to say about the temptation part of Matthew 4 was this reality that because Jesus has given you his spirit, you know that he's with you all the time. God is with you. And Jesus has overcome all the temptations of the enemy. And he's able to strengthen you. He's able to help you to overcome our temptations, our temptations to give in to our old nature, what we used to be, those things that uh, of the flesh that uh, Paul lays out, I think, very clearly for us in several places, but some of which include things like unforgiveness and bitterness, anger and jealousy, envy, those things that, frankly, rule the world. <laughs> the world system is ruled by, uh, uh, we pointed this out a couple weeks ago, is ruled by uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's why marketing works. That's why, you know, uh, people spend all this money on advertising because they put something in front of your eyes, you're going to want it, you know. If they show you how this will make you a better person or how this will elevate your status in society, then you're going to desire that because the whole world is wrapped up in the lust of our bodies, food and drink and sex and clothing and all of that stuff. It defines so much of, of how our world works. Uh, the lust of the flesh, that's our bodies, that's what flesh is. The lust of our eyes, seeing something and wanting it for ourselves. And the lust, uh, uh, and the pride of life, rather, that is esteeming ourselves better than others. Pride of life. Um, which, of course, is uh, the opposite of what those who are following Jesus are called to do. We're asked... Uh, to esteem others as better than ourselves instead of look at ourselves as better than other people. Right. So bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. <laughs> um, so the last thing, I guess, uh, that I wanted to say about that was just a reminder that, um, that the Lord loves you and he understands where you are tempted, whether it is with uh, something like drunkenness, whether it is with anger or bitterness in your heart, he knows where you're tempted because people hurt you and, uh, and it's easy to hold on to those things. Uh, it's easy to be unforgiving. It's totally natural, in fact. Uh, but you should still forgive, right? You should deny yourself if you want to follow Jesus. Uh, deny yourself and, and be obedient to him. Um, Maybe may you're drawn toward uh, sexual sin or, or uh, other things like that. Um, either way... Jesus is with you, and he understands what it's like to be in a human body. He knows, and he's able to help you. So that's why the author to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, you and I can come boldly to his throne of grace. That is, grace is is a free gift, right? So we can come boldly to him, knowing that he loves us, even when we struggle and we wrestle against, against our old nature of this body that we're in and its desires. And we can say, God, help me. And we can believe that he does. And we lay our trust in him. And being a disciple of Jesus is, in many ways, a continual process of doing that. We are being sanctified. And the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize he's setting me free from things that sometimes I didn't even realize I was a slave to. Uh, Thoughts that I have that are just wrong. Desires that I have, motivations that are uh, dishonoring to him and that end up hurting other people. He rescues us from that stuff. Okay, so uh, let's pick up in verse 12 here of uh, Matthew 4, and then we'll kind of go through this. I'm going to do it really, really quickly since Davy already did it, and we're not going to talk about, uh, um, well, Davy did a, a great job, very thorough job going through it. So uh, verse 12 says this, now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, remember this is Jesus' relative, John the Baptist, the one who had been baptizing people, and Jesus was baptized by him eventually. John had been put in prison. He departed to Galilee. It's almost as if uh, John was given a specific mission for a time. 
And then as soon as John's time of announcing the kingdom of God to Israel, he, John's message was simple. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was a message to the nation of Israel. The Messiah is here, essentially. And then he recognized who the Messiah was through Jesus' baptism. The Holy Spirit comes down on him. John had already been saying, there's somebody coming after me who's greater than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy uh, to loosen, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. And he also said that this one would come and he would baptize not with water, but he would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so he, he talked about those two things, both giving of the Holy Spirit and giving of judgment. That's the baptism of fire. And John was very clear about his teaching on that. So he said, repent. He said, change your mind. And he was the prophet of God sent to announce the king of Israel. Okay? This is what, where Matthew's taking us, is this proclamation. Jesus is going to pick up the exact same message in the beginning of his ministry. And I want you to understand this because it helps, kinda, helps us make sense of the text. The beginning of Jesus' ministry, he has these public proclamations where he's saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But this stops. Definitively, there's a time when this stops where he withdraws from all of that public ministry and public teaching, and he focuses on his disciples. And in a lot of ways, it's centered around uh, what he defines, what Jesus defines as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Because when he says that about the religious leaders in Israel, that they have blasphemed the Spirit, when they said, you're doing all of this stuff you're doing, Jesus, all these miracles, all the stuff you're doing, you're doing not by the Spirit of God, but you're doing it by the power of Beelzebub, by the power of, of demonic spirits or false gods, essentially. As soon as they do that, Jesus said, every sin will be forgiven you except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And he then begins to withdraw from that public ministry and he begins to focus on teaching his disciples and reminding them of his soon departure <laughs> as soon as that happens. Okay? And he begins to then speak of his death and eventually his resurrection and that he would not leave them as orphans. But right here we see him beginning this very public, outspoken, broad ministry, and we end this chapter with Jesus being very popular, frankly. <laughs> lots of people are following, lots of people are listening. Uh, but it doesn't last very long, um, which is sort of where things end up heading, right? Because while there may be crowds around him now, eventually there are going to be crowds around him again, but those crowds aren't going to be saying, You're the king, they're going to be saying, Crucify him. Crowds of, of uh, people in Israel, in Jerusalem. So, uh, Continuing here, it says this. He departed to Galilee uh, when he heard that John had been put in prison. And as Davey mentioned last week, there's a, a time gap uh, in here. There's some other events that happen, one of which he goes back to Galilee. And then it says, leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, uh, in uh, the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, so in that northern part of Israel. One of the things that ends up happening is he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth in, during this time period, and we find this in the other Gospels. I think Luke makes a, a pretty big point of, of sharing this. He goes back to his hometown, and he stands up in the synagogue, and he specifically finds uh, the synagogue would be where the Jews were meeting for their church, right? Uh, he uh, specifically finds in the book of the prophet Isaiah, in the scroll of Isaiah, um, the prophecy that says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and to announce uh, the, the year of the Lord, the acceptable year of the Lord and to, to open the eyes of the blind and do all of this, these things. And then all he said after that, at least all that's recorded for us, is he said, today this is, has been fulfilled in your hearing, right? <laughs> like, he just reads this prophecy that Isaiah gives and then he just says, today this is fulfilled. And you know what the, the people in Nazareth did? They immediately recognized he was the Messiah and they fell down and worshipped him. Just kidding, they didn't. They actually drove him up on a cliff and tried to kill him by pushing him off a cliff because they considered it blasphemy. <laughs> and it, because it wasn't his time yet, the text says that he just walked right through the middle of them. They couldn't touch him. It was amazing. <laughs> this whole scene is just fascinating to me. So because he ends up being rejected in Nazareth... Now he moves on to Capernaum. Okay? And that's kind of where we are right here. Leaving Nazareth, he came and he dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea. That sea, as Davey mentioned, is the Sea of Galilee. It's actually not a sea at all, right? It's not salt water. The Sea of Galilee is a freshwater lake, but it's real big. Okay? It's, it's an enormous lake. Um, the Jordan River flows into it and flows out of it. 
down uh, to the actually to the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea uh, down in a, a different part of Israel. Um, but uh, this is that area, that part of northern Israel there, that's the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, uh, the land of Zebulun, excuse me, and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in great darkness, uh, sat in darkness, have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Now this is a quote from um, Isaiah chapter 9. And I wanted to read a little bit of Isaiah 9, actually Isaiah 8 and 9 to you, because I think it really, uh, the way that Matthew uses this, and he says, this is the reason why this happened. Jesus is going up to this area where there are a lot of Gentiles, uh, and he's beginning his ministry there, is as, Dave, again, something that Davey mentioned, how fascinating is this reality that the, the king of Israel is kind of starting his public life uh, in an area that's not really incredibly Jewish. I mean, it is, but it's not Jerusalem. It's not the center of Jewish life. Okay, Jerusalem is the capital, the city of peace. It seems to me, or I think anyone that's reasonable, that if you're going to be the king of Israel, you're going to be where the king lives, and the king's usually in Jerusalem. Okay, But Jesus didn't go there. He went to this other area uh, nearby where he was. And this itself is fascinating. Uh, <laughs> later on in Paul, the apostle's life, he ends up going back to Jerusalem and he gets arrested. And one of the things that he says about why he gets arrested, this is recorded in the book of Acts, one of the things that he says is that God sent him to preach the kingdom to the Gentiles. And as soon as he said that, all the Jews that were listening to him got real mad and they wanted to kill him. Okay? It's this fascinating thing, but there was a reality to the fact that the Jews, they didn't view other nations, the nations of the world, very highly. And yet God sends the Messiah. This prophecy here from Isaiah 9 is a reminder that the Messiah was going to the, to the nations, to the Gentiles. The word, Hebrew word for nations is goyim. Right? The Jews would define the world this way. There are Jews, and then there are everybody else. There are the nations. <laughs> like, that's the way the Hebrew scriptures define the world. Okay? There are Jews, and there's everybody else. Okay? All the nations are, are called the, the goyim, is the, the Hebrew word. Uh, for nations. Okay, so Jesus goes here, and it's in fulfillment of this prom- this promise from Isaiah. Interesting, interesting thing about this book of Isaiah is that Isaiah was written like 600 years before uh, Jesus was ever born. 600 years. That's a long time, right? Our country's been a country for, you know, a little over 200 years. Uh, this book, Isaiah, was written over 600 years before Jesus was born by the prophet Isaiah. I want to read to you a little bit from Isaiah chapter 8 and then, and then into 9 where this prophecy is because I think it's really interesting um, where it goes, the direction it's going, and I think that's where Matthew maybe is pointing us. Uh, he says this in Isaiah 8 verse 11, For the Lord spoke thus to me, this is the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, The Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people saying, do not say a conspiracy concerning all that the people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. You see, the Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. So it's interesting to me that Isaiah, Isaiah was told by the Lord here in this prophecy uh, in Isaiah 8 to not listen to the conspiracy theories of the rest of Israel who were basically saying everything is a conspiracy and, and, uh, and this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And so people were afraid about what was going to happen in Israel because of these conspiracy theories I'm sure that doesn't happen anymore, does it? <laughs> about how there are conspiracy theories about uh, political direction and about how things work or don't work. I'm sure that that doesn't cause anybody to ever be afraid anymore, does it? Well, anyways, Isaiah uh, is saying through the Lord to Israel, don't listen to that stuff. Instead, fear the Lord, right? 
Fear him. Don't let your fear be in some conspiracy thing happening. Instead, fear the Lord. Trust in God. Right? That's what he's saying. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread because he'll be like a sanctuary. That's a, a, a place of, of safety. But to those who won't hear him, a, stumble, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, something that would eventually be fulfilled in Jesus himself. He would be the stone of stumbling. Um, well, verse 16 of Isaiah 8 says this, Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. Interesting of uh, the translation here, uh, using the word disciples. And I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. Again, makes me think of these disciples. As if this prophecy is still speaking about Jesus and him calling the disciples to follow him. Here I am and the children whom... You whom the Lord has given me. Uh, The author to the Hebrews is going to quote that verse in that particular way, actually. We are for signs and wonders in Israel. Interesting that Jesus begins his ministry now doing what? Signs and wonders, healing, all of these things. All of this stuff was written about Jesus hundreds of years before he was even born. It's fascinating to me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. That's uh, where Jerusalem is, is in Mount Zion. Um... When they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? That's what a medium does, by the way, is a person who contacts the dead or tries to contact dead spirits. Um, should not a people seek their, um, seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they don't speak according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. Another reason why it's so important for us to be reading the scriptures. Anybody who doesn't speak according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. They're still in darkness. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, and it shall happen when they are hungry that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God. Again, things that never happen. And they will look upward. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. So that's where chapter 8 ends off. Now chapter 9 says this. This is where the quote is that Matthew gives us. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. As when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, that northern part of Israel wasn't uh, where the center, the heart of Israel was. So it was kind of lightly esteemed. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoiced before you according to the joy of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil, which is kind of where Matthew chapter 4 ends, is with Israel kind of rejoicing in, in what they're seeing in Jesus. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, verse 4 of Isaiah 9 says, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. Uh, no wonder they expected the Messiah to come and overthrow the Roman oppression, the political authorities that were uh, oppressing them. Um, For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel fuel of fire. For, you probably have heard this one before, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over His kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. You see, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It's no wonder then that Matthew is looking at this Isaiah 9 text and understanding that it's about Jesus. And even the beginning of Jesus' ministry in that northern part of Israel, uh, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, is a fulfillment of what Isaiah had prophesied about the Messiah. And this great promise, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I can't wait for that day. I mean, the world is a mess. And I mentioned to you before, 
clearly the world will always be a mess when people are in charge of it. Right? It's the problem. <laughs> the problem with governments is people. They're made up of people, and people are a mess. We're selfish and bitter and vindictive and, and enslaved to, to base desires, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. <clears throat> but there's a king, a sovereign one of the universe, who's promised to come. And he's going to establish a kingdom where there is only righteousness. That sounds really great to me, except that if God comes and establishes a kingdom where there is only righteousness, I can't be in it. Because I've already failed to obey him. The only way that I would be able to be in it is if he would exchange my failure for his righteousness. If he would give me the gift of eternal life. If he would take the punishment for my sin, take my sin from me and give me his righteousness, then, then, and if he will change me, if he will redeem me and sanctify me, then I can be in his perfect kingdom. (laughs) Otherwise, I'm out of luck. You see, it's Jesus that we need. This is why we lean on Him. This is why we say we depend on Him. We trust in Him. Not in our own righteousness. Not in our own ability to obey God or to do everything that's right. Because you can't and you won't. This is the point that God brings us to over and over again in the Scriptures. That we are to be leaning on Him. And so as we do that daily, day by day by day, when Jesus teaches His disciples to pray Two chapters from now, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, This is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Interesting thing about that prayer is that if you pray, give us this day our daily bread, you've got to do it every day. Our tendency is to rather pray like this. God, give me today the bread I need for the rest of my life. Right? We're like waiting for our bank account to go up to like, you know, $50 million or whatever. And God's like, no, no, I'll, I'll give you what you need today to do what I want for you to do today. And tomorrow, come back to me. Trust in me every day. Look to me every day. Ask me for help every day. Because what you've really needed is not millions of dollars. What you've really needed is God. That's it. And you are who he has wanted. This is the thing that shocks me. God wants us. I've lived with me a long time now. I don't know why he would want me. (laughs) But he wants me to spend time with him. He loves me. He loves you. And so he taught us to pray daily. And as Paul says, you have to not cease praying. (laughs) Just just keep on talking to the Lord all the time. Um, Matthew draws our attention to this prophecy here in Isaiah 9 about the Messiah and Jesus' fulfillment of that prophecy that was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Now verse 17 says this, from that time Jesus began to preach. John the Baptist has has been arrested now. Now Jesus is sort of stepping on the scene. Stepping up into this public position the way that John had previously been. And he's even now bringing the same message that John had brought. Repent for the kingdom of of the heavens is at hand. Change your mind. The word repent, metanoia, means to change your mind. For the kingdom of heaven is is within reach, right? It's it's close. It's near. That's what something being at hand means. It means it's close to you. You can grab it with your hands. This was the promise that God was announcing to the nation of Israel. And listen, a few of them took hold, right? (laughs) But most of Israel did not. The official camp of Israel, the leaders in Israel, rejected their Messiah in his first coming. Though all the first believers, uh, the first disciples were uh, Jews, there was a small group. We see in the beginning of the book of Acts, about 120 people gathered in that upper room of people who had trusted in him and were waiting on him, on the fulfillment of his promise. from that time Jesus began to preach and to say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand verse 18 and Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brothers Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen because that's how you catch fish (laughs) then he said to them follow me and I will make you fishers of men 
right? They were casting their nets out to catch fish. Jesus said, come and follow me, and I will allow you to catch people, right? Not in the, as Davey pointed out, not in a trickery kind of sense, but in the sense of announcing the kingdom of God and seeing people rescued and brought into God's kingdom uh, the same way that, that they would be. This was the calling of his uh, disciples or the beginning of it. Uh, there were 12 Again, something that was mentioned previously. He calls 12 specifically, and one of them is a devil, and he knows. <laughs> he knows about. He knows Judas. He knows what's going to happen with Judas Iscariot. And still, uh, Judas is called. It's a fascinating thing to me. Um, Judas is still called, um, even though Jesus knows what's going to happen. But um, even though the end of this chapter ends with Jesus having such great popularity, the reality is it's just going to be this little small group of disciples. These people that that lived with him essentially for about three years. That ate food with him, that talked to him, that asked questions, that heard him, not only announcing to the crowds, but saw him when he withdrew and he spent time, more time with them. This small group of people God used, to, and the world has been changed ever since. I mean, there is absolutely anybody who denies the reality, the influence of Christianity on the world is just closing their eyes on purpose, right? <laughs> a small group of people in this tiny backwoods place under the um, occupying armies of the Roman Empire, an insignificant place on the world stage. And yet again, Israel always seems to be coming up high in, on the news. <laughs> so he calls Simon Peter, and he calls Andrew, his brother. They were casting their nets into the sea. They were fishermen. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This was not an uncommon thing. The only thing really that was uncommon is that Jesus was calling uh, to be his disciples, his learners. It's what a disciple is, a learner of someone else. They're like students or uh, acolytes, you might say. Um, apprentices, that's the idea of a disciple, someone who's learning from someone else. Um, I hope that you uh, recognize that you who follow Jesus are that. You're a disciple of his, and you will always be a disciple of his. You'll be learning continually. Okay, So um, the only weird thing about this uh, because rabbis, Jewish teachers, were frequently calling disciples to follow them. That was one of the things that rabbis, that Jewish teachers did. They called disciples and they taught them. And then they then taught other people their traditions and in, in the uh, tradition of the rabbis and the tradition of the elders of Israel. Um, the only thing really weird about this is who he called. He didn't go to like the center of Israel, to Jerusalem, to those who, were, who had already been in religious training. But he called these these frankly, um, backwoods uh, people from Sop Choppy. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> kind of. He called, he called these, these people in, in nowhere, in Israel, insignificant, who, whose trade, whose life was wrapped up in being fishermen. Uh, they were not of the educated class. In fact, later on in the book of Acts, that was one of the things that was leveled, one of the criticisms leveled against them by the religious leaders in Israel was we know these guys are unlearned and uneducated, but they've spent time with Jesus, right? They're like, how, how do you guys do this? They even said that about Jesus, by the way, because Jesus was kind of from this area. He was raised up in Nazareth. They even said this sort of thing about him. How, how are you teaching us? How do you know letters, essentially? You know. So um, anyway, so uh, he calls uh, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, uh, who were fishermen, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. This is what it means to be a Christian. I, I don't know. I know that we use the word Christian really loosely to mean lots of different things these days. But I just want you to, I want for us to be centered around this simple idea that being a Christian means following Jesus. Right? It means you have decided to leave everything else and to follow after Jesus. To be his disciple. To learn to listen to him, to talk to him, to obey the things that he's commanded. Recognizing, and as we follow him, one of the things we recognize is that only he has the words of eternal life. He gives his life to everyone who trusts him. But this is what it means to be a Christian. They immediately left their nets 
and they followed him. Lots of people say they're Christians, but they're not really following Jesus. And this is the problem when you see like news reports that are like, Christians did such and such a thing. You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> not necessarily, right? Everybody that goes to church isn't, isn't necessarily a follower of Jesus. Everybody that calls themselves a Christian isn't actually necessarily a follower of Jesus. The question is, are you actually following him now? I don't want you to look back on your life and say, well, when I was 10, I said a certain prayer, or last year I did something. I want you to think about this, this idea. Where are you now? What are you doing right now? Are you following Jesus? Because it's what matters. Don't, don't try and look back on your life and say, well, I'm a Christian because I repeated the pastor's prayer 20 years ago or whatever. That doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. The question is, are you following Jesus? That's the question. Okay, so they immediately left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. They just essentially gave up everything and they obeyed. They followed Jesus, which is the same call Jesus gives to everybody. (laughs) Deny yourself, take up your cross and come follow Jesus. Only he has the words of eternal life. He rescues you from your sin. He brings you into a right relationship to the Father, to God, by removing your sin, your disobedience from you. He gives us eternal life, not just one day in the future, but now. And he comes to live with us by his Spirit, enabling us to be obedient, enabling us to to reject our old self, our old nature. In fact, in John 3, Jesus describes it this way being born again. And, and it's really not even the best translation, frankly. The idea of being born again is actually the idea of being born from above. right? So that's the idea. Having a new birth. Your old life has passed away. We're a new creature, a new creation. These are the promises that God gives to everyone who trusts Him. And I know that this is like probably stuff we've heard over and over and over and over again. But I, I pray that... Um, my prayer is that it would is that we would recognize the reality of it and that we would then be motivated to, to frankly, want to share this life. I want other people to trust Jesus because I know that only He has eternal life. And I've seen what God has done in me and my life and my heart, how He's transformed me, how He has allowed me to forgive things that are just horrible that have happened to me and to also process the reality of my failures, the things that I've done that were wrong. And I want for that joy and that peace to be something that that anyone, that everyone can live in. This reality of God's kingdom. So they, uh, James and John also followed uh, these sons of Zebedee. They also followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. This great news of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis. uh, In the northern part of Israel is this area of Decapolis. Decapolis stands for ten cities. Um, And uh, Jerusalem and Judea, which is the southern part of Israel, and then beyond the Jordan, that is on the other side of the Jordan River. So all of that region now is hearing about Jesus, hearing about the, the kingdom of heaven, and witnessing these miracles coming. This is God revealing the kingdom of heaven. This is what the kingdom of the heavens is like. One day, that kingdom will be, um, will be fulfilled in totality, in such a way that the... Uh, John writes in the book of Revelation uh, that there will be no more sickness and no more death. The former things will pass away. Behold, all things will be made new. And that's a great hope that we hold on to. And Jesus is now giving a glimpse of that. Do you understand that? What he's doing for Israel now is he's giving them a picture of what the, the fullness of the kingdom is like. And he's doing all of these miracles and these signs and wonders. Something that Isaiah in Isaiah 8 had actually prophesied was going to happen. These signs and wonders. 
sometimes people complain that they don't see signs and miracles and wonders like maybe Jesus shows there. Keep in mind a couple things. One is that what Jesus is doing for the nation of Israel is presenting to them the kingdom. This is the kingdom of the heavens. This is, I'm your king. And they will end up rejecting him. <laughs> okay. Uh, another thing is that uh, there certainly are things that can't be uh, explained or uh, naturally. Um, and frankly, some things that can be explained naturally don't actually uh, s- suggest that they're not miraculous. <clears throat> I find it interesting that um, most of the time I hear particularly stories of of healing and other things. I, I hear a lot of those in foreign places where people, there are lots of people who've never heard the name of Jesus. Uh, America is very saturated with churchy things. <laughs> okay. Um, but it's interesting that in places where um, people have not even heard the name of Jesus, oftentimes when somebody goes to, the, to a culture that has never even heard of Jesus, and they begin to share the great news of God's kingdom, of Jesus' death on the cross and his burial and resurrection from the dead. Oftentimes God shows the people, I believe God shows the people that are uh, being um, preached to, he shows them the reality of that message by doing miracles and and wonders and healings in ways that maybe we don't see in our culture. Um, It's something that ends up becoming a validation for this new message that they've never heard before. And maybe even in suggesting that, the thought can become, well, if that's true, then why wouldn't God do that here? I don't know, maybe uh, just the hardness of our hearts. Um, You know, there was a a time in Jesus' ministry where he goes back to Nazareth again, and the Bible says that he could not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. They simply just didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And so, um, so he didn't do all the miracles and things in that area that he had done in other places. Because they didn't believe him. And I wonder if sometimes we just don't believe him. <laughs> We're very jaded. <laughs> in, uh, we can be very jaded in our culture. And maybe this is an area where we are. And so we don't see a lot of things, maybe. Um, but, but I think it would be foolish to suggest that we don't see things that are pretty inexplicable at times. In a, in a natural sense. Um, inexplicable in a natural sense. Either way, I wanted to sort of close with this uh, very, hopefully very basic idea of uh, sometimes we judge things on the outside in a particular way. And, and um, I, I want to make sure that we're careful about that. Man always judges on the outward. You know, we look at things and we say, like about church or ministry, and we say, oh, well, there's like, you know, a thousand people there. So God must be doing some great work there or whatever. And that definitely can be true. But it's not necessarily true, okay? Just like in Israel, all of these people now are, are around Jesus. He's the, the, coming to sort of the height of his public ministry with all of this region hearing about him. And then eventually we find things like in John's gospel. John says that Jesus was around a crowd of people and he was teaching them. And he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And when a lot of those crowds heard that message, they were like, this is kind of weird, y'all. I mean, this is a paraphrase. Uh, They said, this is weird. We're having a hard time understanding this. And so then it says, many people left him and did not follow him anymore. And he looked at the disciples at the 12 and he said, are you guys going to go too? And Peter's response is wonderful. He says, where else can we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And then he ends up explaining to those who stayed. He said, "The, the flesh or the physical, it profits nothing. It's the spirit that gives life. So this thing of saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood was about spiritual truth. It's about participating in the life and death of Jesus. Something that he ends up giving an illustration of, this very powerful illustration of that we maybe refer to as communion. Or the Lord's table or Eucharist as it's referred to in different, different uh, traditions. Okay? Uh, where he says, he takes a, you know, the piece of the unleavened bread and breaks it and he gives it to the disciples and he says, eat it. This is my body broken for you. He takes the cup and he says, drink this. This is my blood shed for the remission of sins of many. My blood of the new covenant. You know. So, um, regardless, what I want to do is um, remind you that things aren't always what they seem to be on the outside. But that's true about us, too. 
Sometimes we act a certain way on the outside or we look a certain way on the outside, but it doesn't mean that that's really what's going on internally. In fact, most of the time it's not. <laughs> we are good actors, every one of us. And um, part of the challenge, I suppose, for something that I want to do is be more authentic. Right? Just be more real in that um, being able to say to somebody, hey, you know, I'm really struggling with this thing right now. Um, would you pray for me? Um, or I could really use help in this particular area. Is there something you could help with? Um, but it takes uh, humility for me to do that. Um, and uh, it also takes some humility on the, pers- on the part of the people I'm talking to, you know, not to sort of gloss it over and say, ha, yeah, yeah, okay, fine, you know. <laughs> Sometimes it takes humility for us to kind of say, you know what, what can I help with? What can I do? You know. um, regardless, even though there were crowds following Jesus now, it ends up being, um, by the end of things, very small group um, committed to him. And uh, and I suppose that's, for me, I'm saying, Lord, that's the kind, I want to be that kind of person, the person that's just committed to you, Jesus. It's just wanting to follow you wherever you lead, even when you say weird things that I don't understand or that are hard for me to receive, I just want to follow you because where else can we go? I mean, really, where else are you going to go, right? Materialism, all that exists is the material world. So eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you die. So then you die and you're nothing. So then <laughs> why anything, <laughs> frankly? You know. But if there is a resurrection from the dead and a judgment, right, which is... There was that saying that went around a couple years ago, uh, YOLO, you only live once, right? And it was sort of like, man, go for it, because you only live once. YOLO, you know, go do the thing, go do whatever, you know. I I added an addendum to that based on um, one of the uh, texts from the book of Hebrews, where the author to the Hebrews says, um, you live once, and after this, the judgment. (laughs) I said, YOLO, and then the judgment. (laughs) Every human being will stand before a holy and right God who made them and holds them. And we'll give an account for what we've done or not done, whether it's something committed or omitted. And the reality of that is is um, is weighty. <laughs> and so I say, Lord, Lord, help me to just follow you. And I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't always know where he's leading. I know that, particularly maybe for me as a pastor, people come to me and they're like, Jason, what's going to happen the next 10 years in this little group? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what are you going to do the next five years? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to really try my best to keep following Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do my best to encourage you to do the same thing. Because sometimes he doesn't tell me. He doesn't tell me what's going to happen you know, next year. I mean, goodness, last year, and it's actually just in a couple of weeks here, last year at this time, we were expecting another baby. And then that just, it changed just like that, you know. And not only that, but even the ability to have any more children because of that circumstance just changed just like that. We, you just, we don't know. We don't know what life has for us. But I trust the Lord and He's good to me and I recognize that I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anything that's good. Um, But I just want to follow Jesus and I hope that um, this whole thing can be wrapped up in this. Follow Jesus. (laughs) Just follow Him. Listen to Him. Talk to Him. Read the Word. Hear what He says. And do what He says. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll, I have a couple of announcements, and then we'll, we'll be dismissed. So, Father, I thank you for your patient love toward us. Would you continue to disciple us in, in your ways? Lord, set us free from, from the empty and, and um, senseless desires of our bodies and of our minds the lust of our flesh and of our eyes and the pride of life. Set us free from that, those things, Lord, those things that you hate. 
continue to conform, continue to transform us into uh, your image so that we begin to act and think and, and um, speak uh, the way that you do. That we'd be a help to the people around us, Lord. To our spouses and in our family, to our parents and our children, to our co-workers, Lord. Continue that work in us that only you can do, I pray. Please do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, guys. All right. Amen. Oh, thanks for that. All right. So, um, uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you, his smile on you and give you